Hi, this is Pastor Bill Woods. I want to wish you a very happy new year. Who would have thought that we could get to 2022? Well, anyhow, it's going to take me a while to remember how to write that. You know, I was thinking about a friend of mine that's in prison right now. His name's Robert Johnson, and I'd appreciate it if you would hold him up in prayer. I know that uh, Robert Johnson has been very faithful to this program, and I know that I would love to see some way that he would be able to be turned loose. But I know also that uh, God's with him there in prison. I understand because I've read in Genesis how God used Joseph when he was in prison, and I think that uh, God can use Robert Johnson in a very real way too. But just support him with your prayers and let him know. I'll let him know that we love him. Uh, I, w I was reading through my notes and I found some smart aleck that wrote about three wise women. says, do you know what would have happened if it had been three wise women instead of three wise men? They would have asked directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and brought practical gifts. Now, I don't know about that, but I, I do know that there were wise men that came to see baby Jesus. And I know also that uh, they didn't come to the stable. They went to the house. He was probably a toddler at that time. And uh, they brought their gifts. There were three gifts. That's why people think there were three wise men. There might have been many more. I mean, back in those days... You didn't travel just without guards and things like that. So I don't know how many wise men there really were, or magi as they're called. But I want to ask the question today, were the wise men really so smart? Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12 in the New Living Translation says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, a little town five or six miles south of Jerusalem. It had been David's hometown, and because Joseph was a descendant of David, he had to go there to pay his taxes and to be registered. Bethlehem means house of bread. Now that seems appropriate for a village where the bread of life was to appear among men. Christ was born in the days of Herod the Great. Herod was a cruel man, almost without conscience. Herod began his career as a military man, uh, but pushed his way to the top in politics. He first governed Galilee, added Syria, and finally was made king of Judea by Augustus in 37 B.C. Herod wasn't a Jew, but an Edomite. That would be a descendant of Esau. His ruthless leadership style perpetuated a triangle of conflict between himself, Jewish leaders, and Caesar. Herod didn't follow the Jewish religion. He never let it influence him politically. He deprived the Sanhedrin, the ruling rulers of the Jewish religion and all, he deprived them of their civil power, uh, relegating its members to just religious role. Herod built a, a theater in Jerusalem and, and held games there every five years. His subjects hated him, but they were afraid of him. Rebuilding the temple was his greatest architecture achievement. He, he built a magnificent temple in an effort to win over the Jewish hierarchy. As he got older and closer to death, his anger became uncontrollable, and despite the Jews, he erected a golden eagle at the temple gate, an act interpreted as sacrilege and insult. Because he couldn't discern truth from lies and gossip, Herod wasn't loyal to his family or friends. Herod became paranoid of everyone trying to take his power, at least he thought they were. Because he worried somebody would take over his throne, he was responsible for the deaths of his favorite wife, Mary Mani, I think that's how you pronounce it, his mother-in-law, two brothers-in-law, and three sons. He executed them all because he was worried about his throne and his power. When he found he was dying, he sent for the principal men in the Jewish nation to come to him at Jericho on the pillow of death for disobedience. He ordered them locked in the Hippodrome. And because he feared he'd die without being lamented, he gave orders to his sister that when he died, before any announcement was made, all those leaders would be killed. This way, he knew people would mourn at his death. Herod was a real jewel. He was the kind of guy you'd like to have as a next-door neighbor. Imagine his reaction when the wise men entered his palace looking for the new king of the Jews. I mean, for them it seemed logical to, to go to the palace, and, and again, we don't know how many were there, but they came to Jerusalem, the capital city, and they went to the palace looking for a king. They'd evidently trekked for months to see this baby king. Herod was troubled. This time he was sure his throne was being threatened, so he interrogated the wise men and got all the information he could from them. And when, uh, when had the star appeared, and where were they, and when was the first uh, time they saw the star, and 
all these different thoughts. He called the chief priests and scribes together to find out the prophecies where the Christ was to be born. The Jewish scholars were ready with an answer in Bethlehem of Judea. Now, I think this is kind of interesting because, you know, the Jews should have been watching and they should have known about the times that uh, things were going on and stuff, but we can be the counterpart to that. We ought to be watching today for the second coming of Jesus and know the time is getting ripe. Anyhow, the Jewish scholars came with the answer in Micah 5 too, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. Now it's interesting that, it, I, like I already said, it was the pagans who took the long journey to see Jesus. They had crude instruments, a little knowledge, but they came. The Jewish hierarchy had the Pentateuch and the writings of the prophets in their hands. They knew all about what was supposed to happen. They should have been thrilled that God had finally sent their Messiah, but they didn't even try to verify it. You know, it's like a lot of churches, like a lot of old seasoned Christians. Uh, God help us not to get so stale that we lose our drive, our vision, and our enthusiasm. Herod called the wise men privately. I think how clever that was and asked again when the star appeared. He asked them to find the child and report back to him so he could quote-unquote worship him too. He wanted to kill this child. It's an important truth is that the ungodly cannot frustrate God's plans. I want you to realize that, that even today, those who don't know God uh, cannot frustrate God's plans. They will go just like God has planned for them to. Well, when the wise men started the last lap of their journey, they again saw the star shining overhead, and it led them to where the young child was. Seeing the star filled them with joy. They knew they'd see the baby king. The implication of, is these wise men lost sight of the star while they were consulting Herod. If they had only paid attention to the star instead of seeking human guidance, they would have been led to Bethlehem and the horrible massacre of baby boys would have been avoided. It sounds like maybe the wise men weren't so, weren't so smart after all. We bring heartache and pain to ourselves and to others when we jump ahead of God, when we think we can outthink him and, and do our own thing. Many times, because we're no smarter than the wise men were, we cause trouble for ourselves and others because we seek human advice from people when we should be depending upon God. Adam did what his wife told him to do rather than obey God's commandment, and it cost him and every person since death and the heartaches of sin. You want to check it out. It's Genesis chapter 3. The children of Israel often suffered the wrath of God because they listened to the murmuring and complaining of other people and rebelled against God and against Moses, God's leader. When the wise men came into the house, they saw the young child and fell to their knees and worshipped him. By this time, as I've already said, he wasn't the baby in the manger. 
the wise men did not show up at the same time that the shepherds did. Uh, Jesus was already a toddler, and so they found the house where he was living. Joseph and Mary had secured this house so that they would be able to live there in Bethlehem. You know, God rewards our faithfulness when we follow him. Uh, these wise men came. They presented their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you think, well, why didn't they bring something a baby would like to play with? Well, it's because these gifts would transfer into money needed for Joseph to take his family safely to Egypt. God provided for the financial needs of their move to safety even before they needed to, uh, before they knew they needed the provisions there. Then God warned the wise men not to go back to Herod, but to travel home another way. God satisfied the quest of these wise men as he does all who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Remember, Matthew 5, 6 says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice or for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says, Blessed do they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's the King James Version. That same eternal God satisfies today. You know, we're soon starting a new year, 2022. We don't know what lies ahead for us, but we know who holds our future in his hands. We must keep our eyes on God and let him guide us. Never rely solely on others for advice and never forget to pray for God's guidance. Never rely solely on your own judgment, but seek God's will and God's guidance. The reason the wise men caused so much trouble for the baby boys in Bethlehem was because they decided to rely on others rather than God. We live in exciting days. Ancient prophecies are being fulfilled every day. 2022 could certainly be the year Jesus will come for his church. I'm planning to live like it is so that when he comes, I will be ready to meet him. So many people are wishing back for the good old days, even the pre-COVID days when things were better. The older I get, the greater those days were. But don't waste your time dwelling in the past. That won't accomplish anything for you or for God. Live for now and prepare for the future. I remember when I was probably fifth or sixth grade that I was invited by some a family called the Hendricksons that they wanted me to go up to a ranch that they had in the Horse Heaven Hills there in Wallow, in Washington. And uh, there were several others. I was given a, a seat kind of crammed down in the back seat in the middle. A window seat's best for scenery watching, but... Here I was, stuck down between other people, some of them bigger than me, and I, could hard, I couldn't see the windows. I had to gaze over my friend's shoulders to watch through the rearview mirror at what we'd just passed. I found that situation couldn't be endured for long. With the curvy roads and the two lanes that, you know, and bumps and all that, I didn't know when the next curve was coming because... What I was looking at didn't match what my body was feeling. And I got car sick in just a few minutes. And, and the people wished they would have put me someplace else because 
I wasn't able to hold my stomach there. I learned quickly with my stomach turning flip-flops that I should keep my eyes on the road ahead. That way I could gaze at the golden light of the sun shining down on the green fields and the leaves of the trees as, they drove, as we drove by them. That way I could delight in what was coming next instead of getting sick over what was already left behind. That trip taught me you can't live your life always looking in the rearview mirror. If you want to enjoy the beautiful moments of today, then you have to see them as they happen. God doesn't want us to live in the past. He wants us to embrace the joy that each new day brings. In fact, Paul wrote, uh, Forgetting those things that are behind, I press towards the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus. God wants us to realize how precious every second is and use them for all to love him and ourselves and others. Do his will always. Keep your eyes on the road ahead and trust God to lead you home. God promised he would send a Messiah to solve the sin problems that have us bound, and he kept that promise by sending Jesus to be our Savior. Jesus has promised he's going to come back again to take us to his home, which he has prepared for those who love and obey him. John 14, 1 through 3 says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this was not so, I would have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. Then when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. You see, in the Jewish tradition, especially back there, a young man would select his bride then and he would go and prepare a place for her to live in his father's house. Sometimes it would be expanding the house, making a new room, or getting things ready. When the preparations were finished to his father's approval, he would then go and take his bride home to live with him. Jesus has promised that he's preparing a place for his bride, the true church. That would be you and me if we're Christians. He's preparing a place in his father's house, and he is coming back to take us home to heaven to live with him forever. God kept his promise on the first promise. He did send our Savior. He was born in a manger. He became our Savior that took our sins upon himself, died in our place, paying the wages of sin, which is death, rose again from the grave, and is alive forevermore. And he says he's coming back. He sure will be sure he will keep his promise to come and take us to our eternal home. It looks like it's going to be soon the way prophecies are being fulfilled. Uh, that's why we can sing joy to the world because the king is coming. Fact is, I wanted to sing the king is coming to you at the end of this, but I'm not sure about copyrights and I don't want to get in trouble. But I do want to just read the chorus. Oh, the king is coming the king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now his face I see. Oh, the king is coming. The king is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me. Isn't that wonderful to know that Jesus Christ is coming? And it could be this year. 
I mean, there's prophecies being fulfilled all the time that tell us that, you know, we're living in the days that were talked about 2,000, 3,000 years ago by the prophets, by, by John, by others that said, you know, one day Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to take us home to be with him. And I can hardly wait. I want to encourage you, make sure that your heart's right with Jesus Christ. Make sure you're ready when he comes because there won't be time to get ready. I hear people say, well, if I know the Lord's coming, I'll get on my knees and I'll repent. He says he's coming in a twinkling of an eye. That's not enough time to get on your knees. That's not enough time to repent. You need to be ready now. You need to be uh, on your guard and watching out that Satan doesn't defeat you and that you are ready when Jesus comes for his bride. Shall we pray? Dear Father, I pray today for each one that's listening to this broadcast. I do want to pray again for Robert Johnson today that you'll just bless him in a very special way. I want to pray, God, for those that uh, are, have lost someone recently through the COVID or some other way. Lord, help us to realize that we need to live in such a way that if we were to be called home to face you, we would be ready. You'd be saying, well done, good and faithful servant, not depart, I never knew you. Please, God, help us to take seriously the fact that we're living in the very last days and help us, Jesus, to make ready for when you come to get us so that we're ready to go home with you. We do love you. And we want to ask Jesus for your guidance, your direction as we live our lives. Help us to be able to talk to other people too. Lord, I just ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you want to get in touch with me again, my email address is Reverend William W. Woods at gmail.com. That would be lowercase R-E-V-W-M-W-W-O-O-D-S at gmail.com. Or my mailing address is William Woods, Box 4031, Sun Valley, Arizona, 86029. Well, again, Happy New Year, and God bless you. I hope that you're, you're living for the Lord, and he's just blessing you abundantly. God bless.